Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time, Monday through Friday anyway, and what we do when we gather. We discuss the issues between food producers and food consumers. My guest today has been doing that about as long as I've been from the state of the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, Joel Salatin. And what did you tell me you wanted me to introduce you as? Christian, libertarian, environmentalist, capitalist, lunatic farmer. And uh, it's been a long time, Joel Salatin. You've been hiding out in a chicken coop or what's going on? You're too busy rotating chickens to come and join me on the air lately? No, I, I come. I come when you call. You just haven't called. <laughs> Oh, a true story. I guess I got nailed right there off the bat. You and I have been in the trenches for a long time begging for people to ask more questions about where their food's coming from, who's in charge of their food system, what is the National Food Security Plan. Hey, I think we're there, Joel. How's it going for you? Yeah, you know, uh, this this whole COVID thing, uh, Black Swan, I think woke up a lot of people and uh it it certainly it certainly uncovered the fragility of a centralized industrial food system and uh you know you you realize pretty quickly when there are times of great disturbance you don't want to be in an aircraft carrier you want to be in a speedboat so you can you know nav- navigate the shoals and uh and I think that's exactly what we saw you know we uh you know, we have a we own a, a co-own a small slaughterhouse here. You know, we didn't lose any days of work. Um, but you know, if you've got five thousand people under roof in a cold, damp, dark condition in a in a COVID outbreak, you know, you might you might have some some uh, an incubator for problems. I think that uh, that coming out of this this last couple of years, there is a uh, a, a burgeoning awareness that um, that the alleged efficiency centralization you know whatever of the uh of the centralized food system might have a few cracks in it the last time we visited which was a couple moons ago uh i i blankedly remember two areas where we just had great disagreements and discussions and one you're absolutely right so you were telling me that the usda is blatantly criminal I was con- trying to convince you that they were just misguided. They're blatantly criminal. So we move beyond that one. The other one, I, I want to know, you can comment on that first one if you like when we get to them. But the other one, I, my, my problem in seeing your vision was that I knew we're coming into an era of labor challenges like never before. And what you have in Polyface Farms is labor intense. Have you been able to accomplish providing the labor or did you just keep making kids so you kept having kids do the work? Oh, <laughs> no, we've only got two kids and one of them's uh, going to be 42 in a couple of weeks. And one of them's 36. And um, and uh, so, no, we're not we're not uh, you know, we're we're not in the baby factory deal. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'll tell you what we have done, Trent. Um uh, and, and, and I appreciate the, I appreciate the question because it, it is, it's real. Um, and, uh, what, what we have done is tried to, um, message, uh, two, two things I would say. We have tried to message so that the people who buy our stuff, um, aren't just buying based on price. Mm-hmm. So many people in today's, you know, market, they're, they're just looking at whatever the price is. And there are value, there are value statements way beyond price. I mean, uh, you know, automate, automakers do it. I mean, a, a Toyota Camry is not the same price as a, a Lexus. 
and um, and, and so Lexus, you know, they they have a value proposition that they present and say, here's why, you know, you should pay uh, fifty five thousand dollars for a car and not, you know, twenty five thousand, and uh, and people step up to that. So to me, um, that value proposition, and it can be nutritional, ecological, animal welfare. Um, uh, human, uh, you know, uh, respective human. Uh, there's numerous elements to that value chain, but if you present that often enough and well enough, um, not everybody for sure, but there will be a lot of people who buy into that, which then, which then filters down to where we have, um, a, a, a pay scale, uh, on our people, there's, there's about, uh, 20, what, 22 of us that earn a living here from the farm. Um, and, and the pay scale is actually, uh, quite good. Um, it's certainly above our county average. And, uh, and what that means is we get really, really good people. And, uh, and it's amazing what you can accomplish with really, really good people. And so, um, and so, you know, I'm all about creating a carving out a place of respect uh, for farmers. I think I think that we don't get any more respect than we uh, say for ourselves. And so, yes, when I'm on the farm, I wear I wear old junky clothes and stuff. But, you know, when I go, uh, you know, go marketing and visit with customers and go to town, I put on some good duds. I've got some nice ties and suits and, you know, and you and you dress up a little and you uh, and you come toe to toe. Uh, with what you what you deserve, you, you don't get any more respect than you see yourself. Oh, it's a suit. I don't know what that is. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you've got a pretty cool suit on there. That's yeah, a, that's, that's quite the this is my monogram. I mean, you've you've even got your right name on your shirt. You know, my, mine <laughs> yeah. says my, mine says Tim. You know, mine says Tim. I, I I stole it from a guy. I hear that there's a major identity crisis in today's world. I didn't know you had fallen prey to it. I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, well, um, uh, it, it's not a sexual identity. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be clear about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, you're right. You know, this whole thing of, um, of, of getting, you know, uh, getting what you, what you're worth. Uh, you you create your worth, you know, you create your value, and so you know, so I I I encourage farmers. Look, we farmers have this big burden on our back. We're supposed to feed the world. We're supposed to do it as cheap as possible, and we're, we're supposed to produce it, you know, as abundantly as possible. And um, and and in general, you know, the culture the culture has kind of marginalized uh, farmers, and so. You know, we kind of have this, this, this burden on our back. Oh, I've got to, I've got to work all these long hours. I've got to, you know, produce all this food for the world and everything. And, um, and the result is that we, we kind of allow ourselves to get into this, this, um, um, whatever, uh, you know, responsibility or guilt trip or whatever. And it's, it's not good for us. Um, the fact is the world can feed itself. Uh, Thailand can feed itself. Africa can feed itself. We don't have to feed the world. Uh, what, what we need to do is, um, is feed our, is take care of our earthworms, take care of our soil and feed our, and feed our neighbors, feed our people. Boy, that has been completely lost. And hopefully that, uh, we can all be a part of bringing that back to front and center. I, I once saw a, I was in a shop. I remember clearly where I was at in Minnesota 
and it said the quality of life is 100% dependent on the top six inches of topsoil or the top six inches of earth, meaning topsoil and the health of that topsoil and soil health. We've done some good things in terms of soil health, but Joel, you and I know there's there there's the place where we still need to work at getting those earthworms back in high numbers. Well, that that's for sure. That's for sure. And so if we, but but again, but again, when when the whole thrust and the whole theme of our life is cash today, um, um, you know, uh, cheap food, you, you cannot have a an an ecology stewardship. Um, theme alongside a cheap food policy. A cheap food policy and ecological stewardship are two opposite ends of a, of a spectrum. And so if we're going to have stewardship, we've got to be able to, we've got to appreciate that it's going to take, um, you know, more, more management, more stewardship, more care on the production end. I wanted to speak to a uh, uh, price just in the last minute and a half we have in this segment. In 1995, Kelly and I started selling beef and pork direct to the consumer. And for 15 years, no, 25 years, all people asked was, what's it cost? The last three years, they want to know how you're producing it. They want to know that you care how you produce it. They want to know that it's high quality, and they don't ask what it costs. That's the biggest change in our business. Yeah, that that is a big one, and that that is a good change. Now they certainly do care. Uh, they, they they people do still care about price, but um, but yeah, you're exactly right. That as I was saying, that value proposition has definitely moved the needle, and uh, and we're we're very glad to see it. And and fake food, fake meat, fake protein, all this stuff is driving that value proposition and making it easier for you and I to tell our story. Mm-hmm. And I want to qualify what I said. I'm not talking about, you know, paying three times more than what it costs. But it used to be that if it was two cents more, well, I, I, I can't afford that. Now they're more interested in making sure they have a wholesome product for their family, which is what I think is important long term. It used to be that we would base our price on pork in particular off of what the reported USDA price was. No longer. We have a price model that works for us, that works for the consumer, and people are willing to accept it as long as you're bringing the values along the share that they share with their family. That, that that's right, that's right. And and now we're even getting more and more in the last um, in the last you know twenty years, we're getting more and more empirical empirical tests as well. You know, conjugate linoleic acid, riboflavin, mm-hmm. the B vitamins, all that stuff. We're, we're seeing. Uh, we can actually measure it. We can we can put the st- data out there for our customers, and they can actually see it. We'll be back with more Joel Salatin and Polyface Farms from Virginia after this. Welcome back. Trent Loose, roll route. And we are visiting in the first half of this program. I know, Joel, you've got to go. Uh, you are still Joel, Joel Salatin, joining us from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Don't be confused, though. Joel Salatin joining us here just because he has a Tim on, a shirt on that says, Tim, never mind that. It's just a <laughs> test to see if you're paying attention to the words, not just reading verbally or visually. Joel, what, what's going to come next? We have, we see challenges in the food system. We see hurdles that are artificially being created to produce food, even on a local basis. What, what do you see is the next hurdle we need to overcome? I, I think the next hurdle we have to overcome is, um, 
is just a general opening of access to to market. Uh, right now, I'm sure I'm sure you're aware of the difficulty of getting a butcher slot. You know, at your local federal inspected uh, slaughterhouse or custom custom house. Uh, I mean, we we co-own one here in the valley, and in the last probably two years, we're probably turning away more business than we take. And so these these slots getting getting a butcher slots are are really difficult for for meat. And so uh, as as this awareness that you've described increases, um, uh, we're in a we're in a desperate uh, whatever you know push to be able to meet this new. As people, um, as people began to make changes in their buying and realize what people like you and I have is way, way better than what they get at, at, uh, typical, you know, at, at Walmart or Costco. Um, that's putting more and more pressure on, which is great, uh, you know, on, on us to be able to supply it. But between us and them is this, um, is this, uh, labyrinth of, of inspection and, and food police. That are making it difficult for, you know, for small, uh, small community abattoirs, uh, butcher shops and stuff to be able to access the market. And so, so, you know, we've kind of have, have this, uh, this supply chain issue, uh, coming up. And I, I think, I think, um, as, as the, uh, as the industrial system, as people like you and I chip away at the industrial system, uh, it will continually ask for special, you know, concessions from the food police that, that enable them to, to, to stay in business easier than a, than a small plant. The, the regulations are all size prejudicial. Uh, it's easy to comply if you're big, harder to comply if you're small. And that in and of itself is a very unfair playing field in this uh, market access. Actually, Joel, I have some friends in Pennsylvania who use our genetics. Uh, not that Pennsylvania is any farther than the Shenandoah Valley, but you haven't called for any of my swine genetics. So I go to Pennsylvania instead of Shenandoah Valley. And, uh, this couple, the wife, they own a little slaughter plant like you're talking about. They raise their own pigs before her and her husband started this own swine uh, this own butcher shop which does not just pigs but all all species she was a compliance officer for one of the big four packers and her job was to meet the USDA requirements for uh HACCP and everything else they opened their own shop and she told me Trent the manual <clears throat> that we in our small shop had to follow was not the same manual that I had at one of the big four and it was three times as thick she said, I could not believe the blatant, blatant bias that you just described against a small family owned packer, which we shouldn't call it a packer, a small family owned butcher shop. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's, it's, it's a presidential system that is geared towards favoring the big. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. In fact, I have a friend, a similar, similar story. A friend started a small uh, facility, jumped through all the hoops, got all the licenses, all the compliance started down. And you know, this was a small shop. He had, you know, he and, and I think two other people there and they were just starting and the, the government closed them down because they said they weren't, they weren't going fast enough. Well, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think speed was part of the compliance. I, I thought you had to, you know, have the whatever, the right temperature, the right, uh, things. And, and, um, 
and, uh, you know, speed, I, I don't see speed in the books anywhere, you know, uh, but this exactly, this is the kind of prejudice, uh, that's against the small, uh, the small operations. And, and, and the pro, and the problem is it's kind of a, um, it's kind of an extortion situation. Again, I co-own one of these small plants. We have about, I don't know what, 22 employees or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 uh, you know you, you dare not you dare not cross the inspector because if they get on their hackles and and you and you you tick them off, then like you say they've got they've got a book about six inches thick and they'll find something and they can just they can just bird dog you to death if you get on the wrong side. So th- th- there's no appeal process. Who do you appeal to? Well, you appeal to their superiors who are also in the system. There's no. There's no, um, you know, third party disinterested, you know, appeal. And so you're just you're just kind of stuck. And uh, and it's a it's a it's a real issue, which is one of the things that's pushing um, the, the rogue food conference that we're involved with. The rogue food conferences is, is is figuring out how to circumvent all this so you can do uh, food transactions without any government inspector at all. And that is that is taking over, um, you know, in the in in the direct market world uh by a storm and i'm i'm excited to see it where do we get more information about the rogue food conference uh you can go to the website rfc.com rogue food conference and it's everything from private membership associations to 401c3 food churches to um you know to uh uh bill of rights uh, section 4 um the right of private contract i mean there are uh, there are just uh, numerous things and and so the rogue food conference what we're doing is we're showcasing people who have figured out how to make an end run including including changing the law uh yeah. you know a, a lot of states can change change things and so there there is a a tremendous uh, groundswell of effort i think going on around the country to either circumvent or change this this uh, prejudicial scenario against small operations. I've worked with one church that was in the food distribution business, but I've seen several PMAs, particularly in California, that were born as a result of COVID. And if you are in a state that's not looking at what a private merchandise association can do, you're not paying attention because I think that that is the future for people who really care about these things. Yeah, uh, the, the only problem with PMAs is that you know, private membership associations. Uh, the only problem with them is that generally, um, the once you go to f- over 499, so there's kind of a magic number of 499 members. Once you go over 499 members, you're considered public. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, now, now you can you can make you can make a subsidiary, you can make another one, uh, and that's what some people do. But the other thing is that as these proliferate, uh, every one of them that has started has had to, um, uh, whatever, uh, deal with pushback from the regulators initially, at least in, in order to, in order to hang in there because the regulators have never heard of them. They don't know what it is. And so you've got to be, you've got to have, you got to have some, uh, some savvy, you know, to, to step out of that out of that box. But, but yes, I'm all for it. And I agree with you. I think that, that all of these circumventive procedures are going to uh, develop as we go forward. I was going with something else. Then I landed on intestinal fortitude. You chose savvy, but it's all the same thing. Having a backbone, standing up for what's important. Last 30 seconds, Joel Salatin, it's all yours. 
Oh, well, you know, uh, if, if you and I wanted to make a list of all the things that we're upset and angry and frustrated about in our culture, we could make a big list. But um, I think it's very healthy to go ahead and make that list and then turn it upside down and say, so what can I do to bring hope and help to a culture when everybody's hope, hopeless and helpless? Ultimately, that's our health for the future. And the key word that he used several times, in my opinion, culture, whether you're employing people, you're growing food, or you're maintaining a community, keep the culture correct and everything else will work out just perfect. Like that good yogurt you raised from Polyface Farms. It has been far too long, and uh, I do appreciate you taking the time today. We'll get you on again soon. Maybe hold your attention for the entire time. huh? What do you say about that? I want to say thank you to Certified Piedmontese. Now, when we talk about a regional food system, now we can buy this in uh, France or Italy if you want to. That would be really cool, actually. And I'm going to find out how many pounds of Certified Piedmontese go to Italy on an annual basis, the country that originated the – well, I shouldn't say the country did, but the breed itself originated in Italy, and it's the finer – quality of muscle fibers that distinguishes Piedmontese from everything else. The myostatin gene in the Piedmontese cattle, there are two copies of this myostatin gene just naturally occurring, but they're they're inactive, which means it does not regulate muscle growth, and this is what we call typically double-muscled cattle. The thing of it is, these cattle have a tremendous amount of muscle, and yet it does not inhibit birthing. It does not inhibit performance. They perform in birth as well as anything you've ever owned. And the consumer loves the tenderness aspect. As a consumer, check it out. Go to the website, the Protein Plethora, as I call it. Details at CertifiedPiedmontese.com. We're back with the second half. May a little Marty Beard after this. Welcome back, everyone. Trent Luce here, a rural route to the program. Marty Beard standing by. I want to tell you this. What I'm about to share with you occurred on Tuesday at the state capitol in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's a big deal. North Dakota continues to be the focus, and I don't know how many people outside of the region, obviously folks in Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa get it. But this CO2 pipeline, I, I continue to run into people that just haven't heard about it, don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm obsessed and all I talk about is a CO2 pipeline. It's a lot like the 30 by 30 challenge in that, you know, I spoke a year and a half in 42 states about 30 by 30. 30 by 30 is now happening. It's coming in every conservation easement plan, every wind development, solar development, uh, CRP. It's, it's all about taking food production acres out. And removing our ability to manage our properties, we see fit. And so the CO2 pipeline is uh, a kidnapping, holding a hostage, the coal, the coal plants that survive, the Biden administration's complete dismantling. Here's the thing. People don't seem to grasp. If you continue to increase the demand for electricity and decrease the reliable supply of electricity, at some point you have a problem. So the the coal-fired power plants that are left, they tell them that they need to capture their CO2, put it in a pipeline, send it to Oliver or Mercer counties, North Dakota. That's why North Dakota continues to be the focal point. And this has never been done before. Nobody has ever 
put CO2 a mile deep in Earth. Furthermore, what happens when you remove 340, excuse me, 3.4 trillion tons, 3.42 trillion tons of CO2 plant food from the atmosphere? What happens? Well, this is dangerous. It's dangerous for many respects. First of all, you take CO2 and you compress it in a pipe at 2,300 pounds per square inch. You got danger there. But my biggest danger and concern is what's going on with the atmosphere when you remove the CO2 and bury it. It is just stupid from the get-go. On Tuesday, a group of what ended up being 31 legislators in North Dakota, all from North Dakota, called a press conference asking for an investigation into where the money was coming from. How much foreign ownership of this CO2 pipeline is there? Marty Beard was on the scene. And I feel like I have my own set of roving reporters, Marty Beard, accompanied by Augustus at the state capitol. This happened on Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Marty, we we see the signs, uh, no CO2 pipeline, no imminent domain. What is going on? Well, there's a press conference today here at the Capitol, um, led by, um, my representative, Jeff Magrum, and, and, um, actually, just, just to be Olson, clear, he's your senator. Senator, and, uh, my representative, um, Sue Ann is speaking now, and I'm sure Brandon, my other representative, um, will be speaking. And, um, just so everybody knows, there's, Quite a few people that are upset with the path we've been taking down with this new green energy. And I mean, I, that's what it all boils down to is government waste and uh, citizens having to bow down to the government for their new green deal, their green energy that is going to break America. And uh, this pipeline, CO2 pipeline, dangerous pipeline, is nothing more than a dangerous part of that new green deal. Yeah, and my grandson's taxes are going to be paying for it. Um, uh, by the when he's seventy, I just like to remind people and keep bringing it home that the danger I see is in taking serious plant food and and entombing it in Earth for no benefit whatsoever. There's no upside to this; it's only a downside. And when you entomb plant food, it stands to reason you're going to have fewer plants. Well, Trent. I, I think the big picture is I'm wondering what the benefit of our federal government is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when when you have a rogue federal government that goes against the Constitution, all of this stuff is unconstitutional. And and so what benefit anymore is a, is the federal government that that we're being ruled by right now? Um, I think we need to uh, go back to a constitutional government and and anybody that supported this government and, and falls for these scams needs to be replaced. Now, I would love to give somebody a, uh, a plan on how to do that, but I, I just, every time we turn around, our side is hit with a wall. I mean, these judges, they keep coming up with these orders and, and they make it easier and easier for their side. And we found out that they make it hard for our side. Yeah, but would you agree that we, – we totally agree that we need a constitutional republic. That was the intent. But isn't this the first step in beginning that to happen, at least at the state level? Now we need Burley County to stand up and say we're not going to let this happen in our county because we've had some other counties like Emmons County who who worked at making that that statement. 
But the Constitutional Republic is all about local control. Today, is that the first step in your mind in bringing that back to local control? Well, Trent, we both know that we've had so many steps in the past that we thought we were going down. And and I'm, you know, I would like to see that great hall of this Capitol filled with people today. And there is approximately 40. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that my grandson here can take bigger steps. And, and he can't walk yet than we're taking right now. We need more people to step up and come on out and, and stand up against this stuff. And I don't know what's holding back. This is a very dangerous pipeline. You know, it's containing a harmless plant nutrient, like you said. But when you contain it under such pressures and under such size. 2,300 um, uh, pounds of pressure per square inch, I'm told. Exactly. You know, and, and when you look at what that can do for a uh for a basically a plant food and, and it can be used for so many other things it's it's just it seems like you know basically who's making the money and and how and i think that that's going to be exposed so i think if we keep exposing this you know and i i hate to be the pessimist but hunter biden is still walking free mm-hmm. he loves that so you know maybe that's when we can start taking bigger steps instead of little baby steps uh need to get out of the stroller and start walking. So there's many problematic parts of this, but after my week last week in McPherson County, um, obviously there were folks there from Brown County, South Dakota, and then the experiences I had in Burley County, I had been hearing about bullying and intimidation by pipeline companies. When you see it, when you see uh, violations of private property that occurred to Dan and Sue McLean last week on on judges' orders that whether the judge is adequate or not, they were not to his place. It was some place in Morton County. There was no legal delivery of the package that said that they could be surveying on their place. They were simply bullying and intimidating people. And the reason you don't have 400 people in that hallway, Marty, is because there's too many people living in fear. And and we must overcome that fear because if we can't overcome that fear, that grandson you're holding, his chances are, are slim to none. The fear must stop now and you stand up. Well, funny you should mention Dan McLean's name because um, Dan McLean's ancestors and my ancestors were up against the very same situation um, when they built um, the uh, Oahe Dam. And, re- and reservoir um, south of Bismarck was it was supposed to, you know, that's in South Dakota. But it the government forced my ancestors to sell their land. They forced Dan McLean's ancestor to sell their land, and it was appraised by government appraisers. And and the Corps of Engineers, you want to wrestle? The Corps of Engineers <laughs> use no, their own. I'm fine, thank you. The Corps of Engineers use their own appraisers to appraise that valuable farmland and said it was not uh, uh it was non-farmable you know so the mclean's dan is fighting a battle that his ancestors fought and 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 basically being railroad steamrolled um and and he, people like dan need help they need support and um people just to stand up against this government tyranny that we've uh 
that we've come to accept. Well, I don't accept government tyranny. I don't accept it for my grandson. I don't accept it for my family. I don't accept it for my friends. And, and I hope and I pray and I pray hard that soon and very soon people, more people will see it and, and step up and do something about it. Because here's the reason right here. I don't want my grandson to live under tyranny. Does your grandson's mother know you're using him as an <laughs> illustration model today? <laughs> Nothing would surprise her because I raised her just like I'm going to raise this one. <laughs> okay, but to your point, and, and this is probably the thing that we need to yell the loudest. This is not just started. This didn't just start with the Biden administration. This has been going on for generations. We've been incrementally giving up these property rights to the point now where it's boiling and there are people that are getting burned. There are people with their back against the wall. And that's why if we don't start now, when are you going to start? Because we're into how many generations of these erosions? I lost you, Trent. I don't know. <laughs> we got clear, loud and clear. Somebody asking if you're visiting today. But uh, my question was, we this is not new. This is a generational challenge, and you would describe the generations in your family that this has been taking place. So if not now, when? It'll be too late. Well, I think you're right there. And you know what the problem is in North Dakota? Right here. <laughs> perfectly placed. We, got, we got new world order tyrant um as a governor of, of north dakota and uh his ties to bill gates and all of the other people that that want this type of stuff to control the landowners and steal north dakota property rights they gotta go yeah well, they only go by people activating and being willing to show up. Kudos to the elected officials that held this press conference today. It turns out that I have another roving reporter that's going to give us a take after the event. Marty has given us a take during the event, which we're very appreciative of. And it's always a good day when you get to see Augustus. That's just the best part of the whole deal. That's Marty Beard joining us Tuesday. He joined me live from the event in Bismarck, North Dakota. It'd be a great time to remind you that uh, I'm a fan of coal because life is powered by coal. But the individuals that make up the coal business, much like it's no different than agriculture. Recovering a resource, utilizing a system and a technology to get that resource to us. What is life going to be like without electricity? It appears, it appears the data shows that within the next 12 months, we will have intermittent electricity throughout the United States. It's because the policies have rejected the resource we truly have available. The people in the coal business, they continue to work day in and day out, no matter what the weather, what the conditions, what the climate, they get the job done. Keep coal coming. Keep powering life with coal. Lignite.com. Welcome back, Trent Luce. Thanks to Marty Beard. Thanks to Joel Salatin. And I have something I just need to share now with uh, with you. It's a success story. You know, in today's world, we just don't seem to find enough success stories. We find a lot of challenges and problems. But uh, in the name of the New Green Deal, and I don't think people truly understood the attack on 
life that would come along with this. Maybe the individuals that organized it did and uh, would have. But the money and the corruption that continues to exist is mind-boggling, particularly with the elected officials. Earlier today on Across the Pond, I shared all of this with Andrew Henderson, because if you'll remember, two times in the last six months, I've been at a meeting, two different meetings, in South Dakota, help stop the Gregory County Pump Storage Project, save the Missouri River. That's a, a pamphlet that I'm holding in my hands. And I'm here to tell you today that it was announced two days ago that the organizers, which would be Mid-America Energy and the Missouri River Energy Services, have announced that they are going to stop pursuing this Gregory Dam, and not a dam, Gregory Water Pump Station project. Now, people have asked me, what is this? Because I've talked about it a little bit, and it makes zero sense. Here we are. As an energy nation, energy producing nation, a nation that was exporting energy around the world, now we are destroying the infrastructure for our own production of energy. In the West, in the Snake River, in the, um, uh, what's the river, the Calamus River in Michigan. Where did that Calamus, Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan has nothing to do with this. The Calamus, the Klamath River. Hello, there we got it. The Klamath River in, uh, Robert, stop. I, I see you, Robert. I see what you're doing, Trent. <laughs> Get your act together. You're talking about my old homeland. Well, you left with a good reason. We want to destroy the dams. We want to destroy the electric generation benefit. And I saw this up close and personal at Milburn Dam in Nebraska on the Middle Loop River. They do not capture electricity. But if you go to one of these small dam projects that are geared towards irrigation, you see the amount of power and energy that comes from a water going through a dam. It only makes sense that that we would capture the energy from the dam. But instead of capturing that energy, we're knocking out the dams. We're trying to spend billions of dollars knocking out dams that contribute to irrigation and energy consumption or production. Capture its energy capture. And I, I say this and people are like, what are you talking about? Coal or, or dams, they don't actually generate electricity. They generate energy. We capture the energy and convert it into electricity. And I think that's a big deal that we understand that process. But the Gregory County pump station was nothing to do with generating electricity. It was about expending electricity because their proposed idea was to take 4,600 acres of farmland and create this large basin at the, I think it's 734 feet above the Missouri River between Bonholm and Gregory County by Platte, South Dakota, if you're familiar with that part of South Dakota. And they were going to, during off-peak hours, use energy supposedly from wind and solar. They were going to put all that in too, consuming more and more acres, taking it out of food production. And they're going to bring it, run a pump, pump the water up into this basin. And then during peak hours, drop the water back into the river through a water wheel, capturing the electricity, the energy and putting in a transmission line, and then taking it, I think it was 14 miles, to the power grid. 
I attended two meetings. I saw individuals who are experts in this line of work talking about the net energy benefit to doing this. Zero. In fact, they admit it might actually take more energy than we generate. So why are we supporting this? Why are we supporting? Why is anybody in a policy-making standpoint, why is anybody in a regulatory standpoint saying that we should devote millions of dollars of subsidy money, taxpayer money, to a project that's going to disrupt the Missouri River at this point in time? Now, I just said that dams were a good thing. This isn't a dam. This is simply capturing the water, pulling the water out of the river, putting it in a basin, consume, taking land away from individual landowners in Gregory and Bonhomme County, and then putting it back in the river. Who in their right mind says this sounds like a good idea? Nobody. Well, as I mentioned two days ago, they announced that this project is going to be put on hold, stopped, whatever the case may be. I've talked to the local representative from Bonhomme County, Marty Obernwig, who is going to be joining me today on another radio program. And he and I agree that this is not necessarily them saying, uh, sorry, we, we made a mistake, we're not going to pursue this. It's them saying the climate is not right now to do this. Why is the climate not right? Well, what Marty was talking about in the last segment and the outright no, no, let me let me start this over. Two things: the local individuals, the landowners who put together this pamphlet that I'm holding, did a phenomenal job organizing, doing everything in the right way, and putting pressure on these companies and the federal government that we're we're not going to just walk away, we're not going to just cower, put our head between our tails, and leave. We're going to take this and fight it because this is our home. This is the land that our family has been tending to for generations, and we're going to continue to fight. And then, second phase, seeing what is transpiring with the CO2 pipeline and the the sheer amount of noise that is coming from landowners. There's 87 landowners in South Dakota and two counties that were served eminent domain papers over this CO2 pipeline in McPherson and Brown County, South Dakota. And the, the organizers of this event are going to have to use eminent domain as well. And they saw what is happening. They saw the amount of money that they're going to have to spend in lawsuits to continue to steal the property from individuals. And then you have this other looming question that people outside of South Dakota don't understand, and I'm going to help explain. Because I once was confused about who Governor Christie Nome really is. I'm not confused anymore. Last time I met with her face-to-face was March 9th, 2021. I remember the, no, excuse me, it was March 10th. I remember the exact day because on March the 9th, I emceed the first ever meeting in the United States about 30 by 30. This is what everything we're talking about is part of 30 by 30, which is taking 30% of the land and water back to its natural state by 2030. Okay, that's why they're talking about taking dams out. That's back to its natural state. So I sat down with Christy Nome, and we visited for 45 minutes on March the 10th. It was the day after that meeting in Ballantyne. The same day that Tanya Storer and Margaret Byfield went to visit with my own governor, Pete Ricketts. 
Pete Ricketts as governor of Nebraska became a vocal advocate for bringing awareness to the dangers of 30 by 30. Christy Nome gave me lip service and said, Trent, thank you for bringing this to my attention. We'll look into it and get back to you. That's the last conversation one-on-one that I had with her. And she has not said a peep about the dangers of 30 by 30. She just got reelected in the last election, the 2022 election. As she was campaigning throughout the state of South Dakota and on Fox News, she talked about and she falsely bragged about being a governor for property rights. She has not said a thing, one thing about 30 by 30 and the dangers that come along with it. I personally know of one dozen residents from Gregory and Bonholm County that text, called, emailed, tried to reach out to her about the Gregory County pump storage facility. Not one peep came from her about that. I personally have. I know that other legislators have, and citizens of, of South Dakota have reached out to her about the CO2 pipeline, and she's not said one peep about that. She continues to remain silent on the issue, and her silence is deafening. Because you see, it came to my attention just today, earlier today. Somebody had a copy of the inaugural ball, the inauguration of Christy Nome as governor into South Dakota again for 2023. The platinum sponsors on that program were Poet, who is owned by Jeff Bruin out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Poet Ethanol who also is the money man behind the Navigator CO2 pipeline. And the other platinum sponsor is Summit Carbon Solutions, who is the majority contractor for over 2,000 miles of CO2 pipeline. If you look at the gold sponsors, it turns out that the gold sponsors were the two energy companies that were trying to build this Gregory County pump station. Mid-America Energy and Missouri River Energy Services. These elected officials are silent. They're not standing up for the citizens because they continually are corrupted by donations and money. I'm not alleging any illegal contributions. I don't know about corruption in terms of bribery and things like that. Don't confuse what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, and fully disclosed information. And we see, uh, I can tell you about a senator, a former senator in North Dakota, who now is an employee of Summit Carbon Solutions. They design the pipeline and accidentally just goes around his section of land that he owns instead of through it. I can tell you about the head of the GOP, excuse me, the chair of the GOP in South Dakota, who's now also on the payroll for Summit Carbon Solutions. So when Marty talks about the individuals in South North Dakota who are asking for full disclosure on who the foreign entities are that are investing money in CO2 pipelines, we all need to take that message to our elected officials. We need more transparency. That, at the end of the day, is the great challenge that we have. If we as taxpaying voter citizens in a free representative republic cannot have actual transparency of who is funneling money where. That's all we're asking for. And with that, 
We've successfully connected the dots between food producers, food consumers, and the challenge to property rights that continue to unfold in front of us. For Joel Salatin, Marty Beard, I'm Trent Luce. We all three remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Somebody that helps every step of the way maintain a free and fed America is Protect the Harvest. All of these issues come front and center on Protect the Harvest with great commentary and, most importantly, information to empower yourself as a citizen. Protect the Harvest can only do this with partners. If you're interested in being a partner and contributing to the cause, go to protecttheharvest.com or get a hold of me and I'll send you the right way. Protecttheharvest.com for a free and fed America.